so I'm going to share it, Demis. <laughs> Demis won Galita's finest award winner for Innovator of the Year in Galita. I mean, Innovator of the Year. I mean, that is a big deal. Anyway, seriously, congratulations. So, anyway, if you needed any credibility for the topic, which is, I won't steal it again, you have it now. Um, but, I'm not, yeah, I love you. I'm going to pass this mic to you. Thank you sir. But do you want to share what you did to win an award? Sure. I Honestly, um, I loved what uh, Danny shared right at the end of worship, that... Um, that me and Z learn to love from God, right? When he, when you really understand how much he loves you and there's nothing you could do to make that love go away and that you don't deserve it, it's good news. It's great news because we all fall short and he completely loves you every single time, again and again, and calls you up. That is, that is at its core, <laughs> that's the reason I got an award because, um, because, um, I've put a bunch of effort into. You're right. I would not have. I would not have shared this at all. <laughs> I put. I've, God put it on my heart to um, try and get. Uh, we, I'm also. I'm a geek for microchips. That's what I love doing. And um, God put it on my heart to try and get local people into those 30 or 40 microchip high tech microchip companies. Goleta and Santa Barbara are like one of the most high tech cities in the world. Unbelievably high tech microchips. People who live here don't even know that. Um, and because of that, people who live here, who some of them who have like minimum wage jobs, I look at them I'm like, dude, that guy's so smart. Like they could be making way more and love every minute of it, um, making these things. That's kind of what I just put a lot of effort into that. That's why. But yeah, it came from God. God literally at one point, sitting in a meeting, told me. I asked him, God, like I didn't even ask you, should I be doing this? And he said, I made you to do this. No one else is going to do it. Like talk about freedom, man. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what that, that's what all is about. I'd be happy to tell you more about it. I can talk your ear off about that, but but um, but yeah, one of the things, even that effort actually comes from one thing that God has just really put on me. I just love um, finding people's calling, finding their purpose, helping them work through that. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes I'll show up and be talking to someone, and man, it just comes out. I'm just like, oh my goodness, God! Like this stuff you're telling this person is like amazing. Uh, that happened like to a young man on Thursday. That was so cool. It was amazing, and like it just—I didn't—it just came out. It was, like, awesome. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I got nothing. It happens sometimes, you know. I'm just honest with what God's telling me or not telling me. Um, but I just really, really love that. Um, I will say, um, Azita was Azita would have been here. She's incredibly smart, and I um, about half of what I wrote here actually came from her. her but. Uh, Yesterday, Jacob, Jacob got a sore throat, so she's at home taking care of Jacob. Um, she was more than happy to not have to go on stage. <laughs> um, well, uh, let me get into it. Like, so, some of what I'm going to talk about here is actually something I did talk about, I don't even remember what year, maybe 2021. We did like a series in the field where different people will come and talk on certain topics in the field. So I talked about it there. I'm going to talk about some of that and then also add some of what Zita showed. Um, so, um, Hannah, would you mind putting my, that first slide up? So... Um, my first verse comes from, uh, actually, this is the main verse that I'm really going to talk about. Exodus 35, verse 30. Um, you can just read off the board here. I'm not going to read it in a second. Let me, just, let me just tell you what's going on here. This is the middle of Exodus. In uh, chapter 25, 
Moses receives the entire instructions for building the tabernacle, building the Ark of the Covenant, right? That's where, like, the stone tablet's going to go. The, it's also a symbol, like the Ark of my promise. By the way, is anybody interesting a little aside? Oh, let me point out, by the way, the way I read this, you saw this when I, when I did Proverbs. The way I read this, I found can be a little, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I read it differently because I literally, I became Christian just by believing that this happened. I read the Bible. I was reading it to my wife. And I was like, oh, let me just read it to you just to like, be more connected. And suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, this really happened. right? Because it's terribly written and there's no narrative and they don't explain like, what the scenery is like. like. I thought it was like a no- novel with morals because I knew all these stories growing up in the church. And then I read it and I'm like, I've never read this before. This is literally fishermen just like, writing down what they saw. Right? <laughs> and um, so when I read this, right, I don't read this as like, oh, this is like a cool story where maybe I can get something interesting. Like, this is about a real person. And when, when I think about that real person, you know, um, again, most of the, like, the narration and, you know, what were they thinking in their head, like half of that's missing, right? You have to kind of wonder, what was it actually like? Who was that real person, right? Like, what's really going on there? I know I really like to put myself inside the shoes of, like, what is the real history that happened here? So, um, so I'll read it uh, to you guys. Um, so what happened, oh yeah, let me go back to, so in Exodus 25, he gets the, uh, Moses gets the whole instructions for how to make all of the tabernacle and the ark and everything. Um, and here is where, uh, just before this, Moses actually gets all of Israel together, and he's like, okay, this is what God told me, we're going to do this, I need you all to donate your, donate, you know, if God calls you to donate gold, silver, gems, we're going to melt all the gold, so people have come and given jewelry, gold, you know, colored yarns that were expensive, purple and blue, can you imagine if we couldn't get blue right now? Um, it was super expensive back then. Uh, gems and wood, like, like the, all of Israel is donating the stuff, to actually get this thing built. And here he's giving the instructions for, here's how we're going to actually do it, okay? Um, so he's got the instructions, you know, this many cubits, this many whatever. And here he's actually um, coming down to, after the tabernacle, he's like, here's how we're going to actually make the ark, okay? The actual, by the way, anybody know what ark means? There's two places you see ark in the Bible, right? There's the ark of the covenant, like the ark of the promise where the tablets go in or whatever. And then there's also Noah's ark. Don't those sound like really different things? You know what ark means? literally means box. So when you think of Noah's Ark and they draw in the kids' books this picture of like a ship with a front and a back, like that's not what it is. It's a floating box with no directions and no controls. Pretty interesting. Yeah, totally different, right? Like talk about trusting God. Like we are not sailing this thing. God is sailing us in a box. <laughs> so anyway, so here's the verse about how to actually make the Ark of the Covenant beautiful. Then Moses said to the Israelites, he's got the whole country of the Israelites there. See, the Lord has chosen, your Lord, by the way, means Yahweh. It should be small caps. Yahweh has chosen Bezalel, um, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Raise your hand if you're have an artist or like on the side, like you like drawing, you like making music, like whatever, like you're, you like doing art. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's just, I don't know, I, I thought that was amazing. Like, wow, he made this guy to be ultra creative in all those things. And he has given both uh, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab um, the ability to teach others. That's a whole other skill, right? Because some of us, uh, I see this, I'm an engineer, right? So I see this with engineers where like, you can be an unbelievably good engineer, but you just get really annoyed if you have to explain it to someone else, right? <laughs> right? 
He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, and blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. And I mean, this is amazing, right? That's what God made them to do. And it goes even further. It's not in this, it's further in this verse. He also calls them to then build a team of all the other artists to be able to build all this stuff together, right? So the instructions said, you know, make the wood this long, make the thing this tall. You know, it sounds pretty bland. But then he says, no, 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 it's got to be beautiful. And I have no instructions for how to make it beautiful. I just made these people to do it. Let them go and create, right? It's really cool, right? Like there's no instructions on like, you know, what should you put on there? What's the design? Like, you know, it's just, just make it beautiful. Was the instru- like, he made them to do it, right? I think that's really amazing. Um, <clears throat> because creativity is not about prescribing something and telling someone how to do it, right? So um, one thing I think is amazing about that, so, so for those of you that are, for example, artists, raise your hand again if you're kind of artist, creative, like you love painting or whatever it is you like doing. Yeah, keep your hands up. Now, keep your hand up if you've found that you must work at it and practice it or learn it in order to stay good at it or get good at it? All of you? Most of you? Okay. I think that's really interesting, right? Because what does this really mean? This is a real human being. These are a couple of real human beings, right? They're not only good at teaching, they're also good at building a team, like building an organization. That's a whole other skill, right? These people were made for this job in multiple ways, right? Um, But the years leading up to this, did he just wake up one day and he's good at all those things? Is that how you get good at an artistic skill? Like, you got to practice it, right? Even if you're good at it, right? Like, I mean, I know, um, I know some people, like, for example, one guy that comes to mind is uh, Dave Kaplan. That guy is the most amazing drummer I've ever heard. It's just so natural. He doesn't even think, doesn't think about it. But even he's like, you know, if he doesn't have the stamina, if he hasn't kept his muscles in tone and actually kept doing it, he can't keep the rhythm for more than, you know, I don't know. Well, for him, it's probably an hour, but... Um, but, you know, he has to keep in practice, right? So even if you're really good at it and have, like, a, a brain that's wired for it, you still have to be able to practice it, right? I think that's a really important aspect of sometimes, you know, today I'm working, I'm talking about work and calling. I think it's an important part of this story, right? As a really human being, what that really looks like is for his whole life, I mean, look at the sheer number of skills, right? Like, cutting all those different things, doing linen and embroidery, I mean, these are multiple skills, right? You'd be amazing if you were good at any one of those, right? Um, but he's had to learn and practice their whole life to be, to be good at it. But how does that actually look like, right? Does, was he like, did he wake up and he was like, God made me to go do this, I gotta go do it, right? And, uh, and oh man, I, I, I missed it today, like I'm falling short. Like that's probably not what that artistic creative endeavor feels like, right? Because it's not, um, again, it can't, it can't be something that, um, it's, it's hard to be really, you kind of need to get into those, moments of like flow state where you're just like having fun and it's just coming out like you know your instrument so well whether it's a pen or a drum set that you think something and it comes out right like that's that's it, it takes time to get there right you have to have stamina like I used to drum as well right like, like there's only a few times in my life where I drummed enough that um, my body could do what I was what, what came out of my mind <laughs> right and if I stopped drumming for an, a year like I could not do that I'd have to build that back up right um, so what makes them like that? Uh, it's not written in the Bible. It doesn't exactly say it here. But I, again, have really thought a lot about finding people's calling and their purpose. And it looks to me like um, people, the question I ask is, what is that thing you can't not do? Right? Like you're obsessed with it. You love it. And um, you have to go do that. And you talk to other people and they like, couldn't care less. I mean, for example, microchips. Like who cares about making microchips? 
just me, mostly, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But man, I love it so much, right? Um, so if you're kind of asking, like, what's my purpose? What's my calling? Like, first question is, like, what is that thing that, that you just get so excited about and your boyfriend or your wife is just like, yeah, that's cool, you know, all right? Have fun with that. That's re- that's, I think that's a really special thing. When you see that, um, that to me is one indication of like, well, God made you to do that. You're going to bring that thing into the world. Nobody else is going to do it, just like you told me, right? Like you're made to do that. Um, the hard thing then is, okay, if you're made to do that, um, because you can't not do it, you start getting good at it because you practice it all the time. So there's a, a guy I listen to and read all the time called Malcolm Gladwell, and he takes issue with the idea we think of someone who's a genius, right? That we think of like, oh, that person's a genius. Some, without saying it, we're saying they were born with that from the time they were two, right? But that's actually not what happened. They got so obsessed with this thing that they did it all the time, and they kept doing it, and like after 20 years, they are the world expert in it, right? So I think it makes sense that the thing you cannot do is the thing that you will become a genius at, basically. Um, and you should pay attention to that, right? Especially, okay, so for example, if it's like, you know, um, if it's, I think you want to be careful, right? If it's the same, if you're, if you're like, I want to do this thing, but it's also something everyone else loves doing. Like, I love eating pizza. We're all going to go eat pizza all the time, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's not what I'm talking about, right? Like, what's the thing that sets you apart? Because I really believe God has made each person really unique, just like the trees of the forest, all the same genetic code and not, no two are identical, right? That each person has one thing that they're made for and it's really amazing to try and figure out what that is and pay attention to that thing that you love doing that you, maybe it's just a way of thinking. Maybe it's, you know, it, it could even be something abstract that nobody else does. That's a really special thing that you get to bring to everyone around you. It's, it's the thing that God put you here that no one else is going to be able to do. And it's a really important part of kind of being in community, creating art, whatever the thing you bring, it's amazing. One thing that um, sometimes that obsession in our culture will make money, and sometimes it's something that you could make money with, and sometimes not, right? But, um, and I think that's an important thing to try and figure out. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, even if you can't quite figure out how to make money with it, man, if God made you to do it, you should go do that thing, right? And have fun doing it, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing, is that for those of us that like, have something like that, we just get obsessed with it. For example, okay, I'm making microchips, right? Like, I had to go th- through a ton of school, undergraduate and PhD, seven years of calculus. I actually enjoyed that, by the way. And, um, yeah, it was, I mean, I thought it was amazing. Like, I loved every minute of it, right? I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, I counted it up just last week, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right, so like, it wasn't like it took no work. Right? I had to do all those things, and I loved every minute of it to become an expert at the thing I do. Like, that was really fun for me, right? Um, I am just thankfully blessed that that is the thing that makes a bunch of money, being an engineer in our culture, right? Um, I could be in a country where they don't have any microchip labs. I would not be able to do that, right? Um, or, for example, um, one example I always give, many of you have probably heard me say this before, is, um, for example, um, a great example is Azita's career path, okay? So, for example, for her, um, she, always, um, she always had this pressure from her parents of needing to do economics and finance, right? So where they're coming from, her, she's from Pakistan, her family's from Pakistan, my family's from India, whole Bollywood story behind that, by the way. Um, she, she, um, so she always had this pressure for doing that 
uh, for doing economics, but man, all of our all of her friends, including me, were just like, I can't believe you're going to go into finance. Like this doesn't doesn't match at all, <laughs> right? But even when she was doing it, this is in Boston, by the way. She was she was she she landed. She put sent out 150 resume and applications and like got a finance job in Boston. And she was doing it, and she was, she was good at it. She's a very very smart person. She could, she she's one of those people, unlike me, that would get good grades even if she didn't like the subject. And um, but she would she was working on that and. Yet, uh, well, okay, a little complicated story. The war on terror happened. She lost her green card for some obscure... She lost her work permit for some obscure reason. Very strange. Uh, that war on terror caused us all sorts of problems, right? Because she's from a Muslim country. But um, so she ends up working at a couple of volunteer places. And I remember she was, she was working at the Harvard JFK School, the Women in Public Policy Program, like these highfalutin internships, right? But she was also, to make money... She was also working as a babysitter and working at a women's shelter where she'd teach English and at a grocery store. And um, the only thing she'd actually come back and tell me about it in the evening were babysitting. She'd tell me all about these kids. And uh, the women's shelter, she'd tell me all about the women that she was like ministering to, right? I, always, I even asked her a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I can't remember anything you did at Harvard. I mean, I know, like, it's on your resume. It looks great. But I don't remember you ever talking to me about it. The thing that she's actually passionate about is really taking care of people. How many people here know that? How many people have experienced that, right? Like, I mean, you guys know it, right? She's amazing at that. It's so called that. I'm so thankful because my house would be very uninviting if it wasn't for her. It would be full of, like, junk and piles everywhere. I'm so terrible. But, but she, you guys know that you who have seen her, like, she is absolutely amazing at making people feel safe and loved and welcome. And, um, and it's so valuable. The impact she has is huge. Right? That's her calling. That calling absolutely shines when you become a mom. Right? That, that's what that's all about. But I mean, she's, I mean, me and Jacob get the best of it, but she obviously impacts a lot of other people as well. It's amazing, right? Being a mom is not a career that makes money. It actually costs negative money. It costs money, right? <laughs> I am so happy to make sure she has everything she needs to do that because that absolutely fills her, fulfills her calling and impacts so many people, like that is amazing, right? It is so, so good. So I put that out there because I want you to think about what our culture, there's an unspoken thing in our culture that the amount of money you make or the amount of power you have or the amount of fame you have is your value, right? Um, And this career path, being a mom, all of you know being a mom is, your mom is one of the most important people in your whole life. And we'll always be like that. We all know that's actually not true if you actually say it, right? And that makes negative money. So that whole thing that, that money or power equate value in our culture, completely not true. Even in our culture, like we know that, right? There are other cultures that don't, that don't have that, uh, don't quite make that mistake. For example, in South Indian culture, like everybody knows the mom is actually the, the leader of the whole family and she can tell everyone what to do and they'll go do it, right? Like it's kind of different. Um, but I, want, I just want to point that out there. You know, Azita and I definitely think a lot about um, culture, right? What does our culture say? What does our culture not say? Even Christian culture versus American culture. And the reason is, right, because she's from Pakistan. I'm from India. Our culture said, you guys should not interact. And we've gotten married, right? Her family is Muslim. My family is Christian. Another culture is saying, like, these things don't mix. And so we're pretty countercultural as it is, right? Um, so I think if you can figure out, like within, this, within the place that, you're, that you live, right? You live in the United States. There are, um, if you can figure out how to make money with your obsession, you get to love your job, which is amazing. That doesn't mean love every day, okay? Like, I mean, the, you'll still have 
people who you work with where they rub you the wrong way or, man, I make microchips and sometimes, like one time I just dropped, you know, 15 wafers and I, I, like it took me like oh, two weeks to make them. I was just really sad. I'm like, I'm going to go home. <sighs> and then tomorrow I'm like, I'm going to go make them again, right? So, <laughs> right? Like you have bad days, right? But when you love it, right? It gets you through those hard times. We're all going to have hard times, right? But man, when you love it, like there were times when I walked in that, in the, in the, uh, the, the machine shop that you make microchips and I was just like, like I'd had like a terrible day, like personnel things, boss and whatnot. And then I walked in there and I'm like, dude, this is amazing. I get to work in here. This is so cool, right? So you, you get to love your job if you can figure out a way to make money in this culture doing something that you absolutely love that you can't not do, okay? Again, let me be clear. Not every calling can do that, right? Um, so um, it's per- perfectly okay to then instead, let's say it's, it's perfectly okay to work in order to be able to do your calling, right? You still got to pay rent. You got to make sure uh, there's a couple of verses that uh, my walking Bible over here, Ryan, thank you. Um, I asked him, hey, Ryan, what are the verses on, on work? And he's just like, he just rattled off like three verses. It was awesome. <laughs> um, you know, it's perfectly okay to have to, um, to work in order to, to do your calling and to not be a burden on other people. That's a good thing, right? That's also written in there. I will point out again, there are other cultures that are slightly different. For example, like Indian Hindu culture. Um, if you are um, a sannyasin, which is like someone who's kind of following, is trying to find their... Uh, spiritual next life, um, it's actually okay to, uh, it actually says in some of, some of the Vedic documents, like, go and beg, but don't be, don't be annoying, <laughs> right? right? Like, like, so you're planning to go to other people, and they're going to help you, they're going to give you food so that you can follow your spiritual thing, and you're going to be an ascetic and go live by yourself, um, and the reason they're going to give you food is because there's kind of a karma thing, like, okay, if I help this person on the spiritual journey, that'll help me in my next life. There's a whole other thing, right? There's a whole thing built into that culture. You know, the United States does not really work like that, right? <laughs> so you are put here. This is the culture you're in. And work with it. How do you work with it to make sure your calling is going to shine? Whatever that looks like, okay? Um, so I don't know what that is. Again, I, you know, people, God makes people really, really different. Like your story and my story might come out totally different, right? Even mine and Zita's story is so different. She, she believes and became Christian in a totally different way than me, even while we were still married, right? So it's so really interesting. Um, so find, find it, right? Find your calling. I really encourage you. Like it's an amazing thing. Find your calling, practice it, and figure out a way. Like see if you can figure out a way. Brainstorm with other people. Um, talk to people. Uh, one, thing, one thing that Z put out um, was um, she was seeing something that she maybe sees kind of gets in the way sometimes of that calling. So, for example, um, thinking about Christian culture, um, so we, she and I were talking about, uh, she was really saying this, you know, how many people, without, if, you, if you're not aware of the culture you're in, you can actually just get swept up in the river of that culture. Right? And be doing the things the culture is doing without you really deciding that's what I want to do. So, for example, that happens even in Christian culture. Right? Again, this is, um, Z and I think about these things because we became Christian outside of a church. We literally just like, believed in the Bible and went to nine different churches in Santa Barbara before we stayed at one for a long time. Um, and so, so, are there, uh, she, she was mentioning that she, is, she, can th- she has seen people who have felt like what they were doing was doing the good Christian thing but pushing aside their real calling in order to do it. So, for example, um, uh, here's a great example that she put out. She said that um, 
Jesus actually, this is an amazing insight. What Jesus is doing, right? He constantly rubbed people the wrong way. He constantly got in trouble. He constantly did what people didn't expect all the time, right? And, people, and it bothered people a lot, right? What was he really doing? I think she's absolutely right to say that this is a great framework for understanding why that kept happening. Jesus was slashing through culture, but not through people, right? So for example, um, you see him going against um, Sadducees or Pharisees, and yet at the same time, he'd be more than ha- You see their stories where he's more than happy to accept one of those people to come and follow him. Like there's no like barrier to that, right? What's he actually slashing through? You're not, you're not, you're not, you're following what your culture tells you to do, but you think that you're doing the right thing. But you haven't actually thought about it. You're doing what the, you're swept up in the river of Christian culture or Jude, Judaist, um, Jewish, cult, uh, Jewish culture, and you haven't actually thought, should I be doing this? Let alone, if you are swept in the river, swept up in the river of culture, can you break against that if you think that you should be doing something else? That's really hard, right? I mean, we see that in the Bible, right? People who, um, Nicodemus who wanted to follow him and maybe didn't, right? Or the rich young ruler who wanted to follow him and maybe didn't. We don't actually know what the rest of the story was. It's not in the Bible. But, um, so I think that's really important, right? To ask, um, you know, even within, even within um, Christian culture, have you found yourself... Um, are you finding yourself maybe being safe and doing the Christian thing, right? Um, I think it's important to not ignore your calling, even if it doesn't fit with Christian culture. So for example, um, it's still your calling, right? That's actually still your calling, even if it doesn't like, fit neatly and feel comfortable in the culture that you're in, right? All, all churches have their own culture, right? So for example, releasing non-Christian music, like is it okay to, for it to say, you know, pop next to your, in your genre? Right? Well, if that's your calling, you know, maybe, right? Or uh, working in science or math, there's kind of a, an imaginary battle between those and Christians. I mean, I'm, me and my boss are both living proof that that does not have to be there. Um, right? But can you break out of the, how can you break out of the Christian culture river if you need to? Um, one, don't just hang out with people that are the same age as you and think all the same as you, right? Because then you will, by accident, all get swept up into the same culture. Okay, you won't even realize it's happening. So, for example, hang out with people that are older than you, that have some insight or vision. Hang out with people that are different than you. Hang out with people who are just like, like even if there's a culture clash there, I love that stuff. When we have someone over that's just like really different than me and like you don't quite get it, like that's great. That's a challenge that makes me have to think in a new way. That's awesome, right? Like it's a good challenge, right? Uh, it also means that sometimes, you know, um, there's been a lot of research on like diversity and innovation and stuff in the last uh, five years. And one of the interesting findings I found was that um, the more diversity you have, the more innovation and the more inventiveness you'll get, in, but also the more uh, problems and, and uh, tension you'll get, right? So is that actually, is it worth working through that tension so that we can actually have those other voices? That's the question, right? Like, you're not just going to do it because it's easy. It actually might be harder, but it'll be better for everybody, right? So, okay, I'll end there with that. But I want, I would love you guys to really go think about what sets you apart from others. Go find that calling. Yeah. All right, fams. You guys are going to have my number up there in a second, and then you're going to text in any questions you have. Let's just stay in this lane. That would be appreciated. Tom? (laughs) 
All right, guys. All right, Demis, here we go. Based off what he is saying, does that mean that things that God made us to do shouldn't be something that we don't feel like doing, right? Or should it be something that we are passionate about doing and don't mind doing often, right? Okay, um, yeah, let's read that again. Okay, I'm going to try and distill this. Does that mean that the thing that God made us to do shouldn't be something we don't feel like doing? Okay, there's a couple of double negatives there. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's effectively, uh, it should, should it be something we're passionate about doing and don't mind doing? Okay, so I think the question is, um, you know, if, if, is God going to ask you to do something you hate? Versus, um, I love doing this thing, is that the thing God's asking me to do? Okay. Um, okay, can I just preface this? I, don't, I never went to seminary, you know, I just read the Bible, right, and talk to God and see what God has to say. So um, <clears throat> one of the things, uh, my, my first thought on that is there's, I don't have a clear answer for you, okay? But my first thought is one thing I've, um, especially in a charismatic church, I find myself having to ask, am I following my feelings or am I following what God is telling me? And if you're unsure, be okay with saying, I don't know. Right? I think saying I don't know is really important, um, especially as a pastor. Like I, I, one of the things I love about the way that Jason teaches and also the pastors at Santa Barbara Community Church, they were the first pastors I heard say, I don't know. Let's open the Bible and pray about it. Right? I think that's really valuable. So, so for your particular, whoever, um, if you're feeling that, you're like, I feel like God's asked me this, to do this thing that I really hate. <clears throat> um, I mean, I guess, uh, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't I can't exactly think of a ton of instances in the Bible where God's just like, you've got to do this thing, but you absolutely hate it. Like, the one that comes to mind is obviously Jonah. It seems like a little bit of a... I mean, Joseph went his whole route, you know, and he had to work, but obviously he was in prison and slavery. Daniel got taken into Babylon and had to do a bunch of work maybe he didn't always like to do. Um, So, you know, I think Proverbs 14, 23 says, in all labor there's profit. And I'm just a big fan of work. I just think, maybe I'm old school, but I think work is really important. Um, And my story is, I mean, I'm not going to go down that whole route right now, but I have worked part-time jobs alongside this church for years. Um, For years, this church couldn't support us because it had no money. (laughs) Um, And so we just had to work, both me and Holly. But, you know, I delivered the Santa Barbara Pendant for, I think, 15 years. Thursday morning, I just quit recently. Um, most of you didn't even know that, right? And I mean, that was just early in the morning before most of you were up and, you know, got it done, prayed over IV, prayed over UCSB. That's where I was at. I've had a job for over 15 years with this guy who's 93 years old now. Um, and it, I'm not passionate about it at all. <laughs> Writing checks and calling things for him and taking him places. Um, but when I got the job, I heard the Lord say, serve this man. And I haven't heard another word. And so my flesh has wanted to quit at times, but every time I want to, they're like, serve this man. Even this week, they asked me, would you consider maybe coming over in the morning and reading the newspaper to him? And everything in me went, no. And then the voice of the Lord, serve this man. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, Actually, Hannah, can you put up my, uh, my second slide if you have that? Sorry, I'm making you switch between. Different slides. I'll read this one for you. There's a, there's a verse that perfectly pertains to that, Jason. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing. If you literally are working in order to support your family, that's a really, really good thing, right? 
um, Jason is actually an inspiration because of the fact that he works like that. So I'm going to read this quote. This is not, you know, God speaking. This is from Martin Luther King Jr. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets as Michelangelo painted, or as Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Isn't that a beautiful standard, right? I mean, that's exactly kind of what Jason is saying a little bit here. Read this question out yeah. loud. Okay. A good one. Okay. Um, let me just uh, fin- close up that last one, though. Um, so... Um, in terms of finding your calling, right, um, uh, that may be separate. I think that, that's kind of the main point is that that may be separate from the thing you have to do for money, which may or may not have tons of joy in it, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, do you think the Christian culture sometimes overcomplicates the idea of calling? Is it just one specific thing, or it could be a few things, or seasonal? Absolutely, I think it could be a few things, or seasonal, absolutely, right? I mean, like, for example, like, there was a time when uh, Zita would tell me dreams, and I just, like, God would just, I would say, God, what does this mean? And he would just tell me all these amazing things that it meant. Now I ask God, what does it mean? And I get nothing. So, I don't know. Right? Like, okay. And I tell her that. I'm like, I got nothing. I don't know. Go ask Holly. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, absolutely. I think, uh, again, I think um, we make the mis- I think we want a nice, easy formula. Like, okay, this is what he made you to do. Go do this thing, and you'll be that for the rest of your life. And like, we kind of want, like, nice, easy formulas. But again, like, I look at how God creates. Like, human beings make squares and rectangles. Go look at the forest. That's how God creates. Go look at the ocean, right? Not a single straight line on the whole thing. And yet there's order in a crazy way, right? Like, you know, millions of anemones that are still anemones, but they're not identical, right? So I think you have to be okay with it being a little unknown, messy. It changes, you know, things are going to move. Your life, life stage is going to change. How would you recommend starting to seek God for your calling? How would you, how would you recommend starting to seek God for your calling? Um, that's a great question. How would you recommend starting to see God to find your calling? <clears throat> if I finished that right. Um, yeah, two things. The first thing is... Be introspective and look like, what are the things that I did over this week that, man, they just got me the most joy. Like, I couldn't help but do them, and they were really fun. And again, you have to sort of put some effort into divorcing that from the idea of does it make money? Do other people think it's valuable? Like, you have to get get rid of all that stuff and just say, like, what did I get excited about, right? So... um, uh, so, for example, I give a quick story of what that looked like for me. So, I was sitting in college, and I was in electrical engineering school. Again, I really liked the study of what I was doing, right? But I also loved playing drums um, and uh, drawing, like drawing black and white comics. That's, those are the things I really. Those three things were like my absolute passions. I remember sitting there with one of my friends and realizing I am going to be mediocre at all three of these if I try to do all of them. Like, I just don't have enough time to be great at these. Like each of these really requires a good amount of time. So I sat there and really asked myself, this, this is all before I became Christian, by the way, I asked myself, which of these gets, brings me the most, which of these am I the most excited about? And I really um, had sort of a, um, I really did not care how much money they made. Okay, so like engineering obviously is the one that like makes money, right? Um, and you know, with Indian parents, they always want you to be an engineer, doctor, or a lawyer. Those are the three options. Um, and, I, and really, like, I thought about it. I mean, I really do like drumming. And, um, and again, that's in the moment when I would, would... That's in the time period where I would get, like, these flow states because I was playing enough with my, my roommates and stuff. <clears throat> but when I thought about it, I was like, okay, like, drumming, like, you know, 
okay, like, yeah, there's a lot of invention that happens and it's interesting, but like, I don't know, it's, there's a lot of drummers out there and this, it, it felt more limited compared to the study of light and the sheer number of things that could be invented in the microchips I was learning about. I was just like, oh my goodness, like there's this, like, there's no end in sight to how much more things you can invent. Like that got me the most excited. So with no like career choice or money involved, I literally thought, okay, that's the one that gets me most excited. So the other two, I'm just gonna treat them like hobbies. And what that means is like, like I love doing them, but if I go two months without doing it, it's like, okay, I'm all right. I decided to become really good at this one. So that's one example of how I did that. The second thing I'd say is um, the most powerful thing I ever do with people when I'm, I don't know, helping someone or counseling them or asking them, trying to pull out, that, pull out that gold from them is stop right now and ask God, what did you make me for? And sit there and wait until, you, until he tells you something. And if he tells you something, ask him more. Like, well, why did you say that? What does that mean? I mean, it's really that simple. So in terms of overcomplicating it, I mean, that is the most powerful ministry tool I've ever seen is Instead of me telling you what you should do, how about you ask God right now? And every single time, and I, and I say, like, what did he say? And every single time, what they say God said blows my mind. I'm like, I would never have said that. That is so much deeper and way more important than anything I would have thought. So that's, that's what I would do is ask God. So good. Um, I want to say, too, you know, just in light of this conversation, but sometimes you may need to do, because some of you are asking about the traditional nine-to-five jobs and all this, and I'll probably get to that. But sometimes you need to do stuff you don't always want to do so you can do stuff you want to do. You know, that's not mine. Someone quoted that way more clean. But um, but it's the truth. Sometimes you have to be put in jobs that you don't always want to be. Um, and I think sometimes it's just easy to see like, well, I'm not passionate here, but God's doing something deeper in you. There's a character thing. There's learning to serve someone else's vision. I mean, this boss I had, I mean, he's 93 now. And we have history together. But man, he put me in tears a few times. Like he didn't notice. He's like this old Jewish dude, just driven as can be. Um, but just he did not treat me nice at times, you know. And then I just served him and loved him. I still do. Um, I will read you the paper. No, um, that was a joke. Huh? Um, okay. But, um, you know, like he, he uh, asked for forgiveness before. And he's never done that, you know. And this was like just amazing to watch God work in his life. And, you know, and he doesn't even know Jesus, you know. I mean, he, he believes in God at some level, but, like, he had a foot issue for years. We were going to the best doctors in the world, and um, he literally flew me up to Reading in a private plane just so they would pray for him up there, you know, because he's like, people heal? All right, let's go try it, you know. I'm bored on a Tuesday. Let's just take a private plane. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I was back for dinner. It was wild. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely great. Jason, you're absolutely right that, um, like, for example, let's say I had chosen uh, being a comic artist. How much money does that make? How long does it take to make money with that? Like, can you even make a living? Like, I mean, if, if I, I was well aware that when I was deciding between that, if I had chosen that, it's because I love it. And I'm absolutely going to have to go probably do engineering just to make ends meet, right? But I'm going to draw every day. Like, that's what I would have decided to do. Does that make sense? Because I'm going to figure out how to make sure that my job enables my calling. Maybe, maybe I'll figure out ways to draw at work, honestly. <laughs> right? so, 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 yeah, I think that's a, good, that's a good point, that your 9-to-5 job like, that you need to be able to do your calling, um, may, do it well. Do it, like this, do it like the saying. Do it really, really well. And, and, again, looking at Jesus, right, when did he start his ministry, maybe his real calling? 
30, right? When did David become king of all Israel? 30. Who is the greatest man born of a woman, according to Jesus? John the Baptist is your answer. What age was he? 30. You know, so like, don't be in a hurry. Some of you are kind of young out there and you kind of get discouraged. But the reality is like a lot of life is training (laughs) to be able to do things later in life. Okay, here's a great question. And it kind of, yeah, I'm just going to read it. It's kind of long here. How do you separate something you enjoy doing plus people affirm you as being made for, this is in quotations, and good at, in quotations, from your calling, in quotations? Um, What if things you are called to has more resistance and people around you don't affirm it? For example, here's a great example. It can be easy here to be drawn to music or art because you enjoy it. People around you like it, but maybe you're working a traditional job is what you're called to and you find it difficult. I know. I, okay, I'm ready to say I don't know on that one, right? Because, um, because um, for example, like one thing that does happen is you might be really good at something, but you hate doing it, right? So sometimes people will be like, yeah, do more of that, and they'll give you more of those kind of jobs, and you're just like, you're actually good at it, but it, it doesn't bring you life. You kind of hate doing it. Like that can happen, right? Um, those, are, um, those are questions that, um, honestly, I think... Really, I think you hear this throughout the, the, whole, the whole teaching is that the whole process can be kind of messy, right? Like things can change or, for example, again, if I was a comic artist, like it's probably not going to be, I mean, thankfully I was in engineering school, so I could probably make enough money to pay rent, right? But otherwise, like I would have to just figure out how to make it work, right? I had to figure out some job that's going to be able to make me be able to pay my rent and be able to do comic art and find enough time to do that. I mean, you know, you kind of have to work through it, so... So if, um, well, okay, one, part of, one thing I definitely heard in that question was, here's what other people are telling me. But who did I actually say to ask? Right? Um, now, now, if other people are telling you that, there's probably something there, okay? I mean, you should, you should, you should probably believe them, right? But whether, whether that's finding your calling, that's a slightly different question, right? So again, you can be good at something that people like, love seeing you do and you find it fun, um, but again, remember what, actually what, my, what I said, uh, what, the way that I believe you actually find someone's calling is what is that thing that they love doing and they find, if you're having a great time doing it, everyone says you're good at it. Like if you hated it, that would be one thing, right? But if you actually love it, I don't actually necessarily see a problem there. Like um, maybe that's an example of overcomplicating the idea of finding your calling, right? Because you're enjoying it, people are saying you're good at it and um, go after it, right? Like it's that simple. It's like s- simple in some ways, that thing that you can't not do and because you can't not do it, you keep getting better and better at it. Go after it, right? I will add in light of this, I'll probably forget if I don't say now. At the, in Romans 11, it says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, which means you can never lose the gifts that are in your life and you can never lose the calling of God on your life. So let that one sit. Um, this is a great question. Do you have any advice for what to do when you hit adversity? Something stops you from doing what you were called to do. We all hit that, okay? I hit that as well. Um, Claire, you, did a, you finished a PhD. Did you have a moment in your PhD where you were like, I don't know if I can finish this. I should just quit. Oh, my goodness. She starts crying. <laughs> Years. Years of that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, okay. I did finish a PhD as well. I also, like, actually, I've asked people, every single person I know who's ever gotten a PhD, every single one hit at least one moment, if not, like Claire, years of like, I don't know if I can finish this. I should just quit. Okay, but 
she finished, I finished, most of those people I know, almost actually all the people I know finished, right? They still finished, right? Um, that's, that's one of the, that's exa- I give the example of like walking into the machine shop and just being like, and just like feeling terrible, like had an awful meeting with my boss, like felt awful, like, oh, I should just quit. And then I walk in there, I'm like, dude, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm doing this right now. And, and I still felt bad, right? But I just was like, at least I get to do this, mm-hmm. right? So there always is adversity, right? And I think one thing that's really important to remember, like I think I've said this like five times over the last couple of days, is that there is an adversary, right? Sometimes we forget that there's a force that wants you to not fulfill your calling and wants you to feel terrible and wants you to feel like you're not good enough and you're going to fail. Like, don't forget, right? There's another force out there that wants you to not do that, right? So... That's why we call it a battle sometimes. We were just talking about this a little bit. But um, so, so um, yeah, so even in the face of adversity, I, th- I think ask, like, wow, is this, is this really that thing that, if, you, if you're saying it's your calling, right, it's still your calling. And also, by the way, that it's, you're still made for it, even if it goes badly, right? Because when you know that you're, remember when I said that um, God told me, um, I made you to do this and no one else is going to do it? Like you, that is, if I, because I instantly really believe that, I completely believe that he, what he said, that means that when it goes badly, I'm still made for it. And that enables me to go say sorry, go fix it. I mean, honestly, take the fall for someone else just so that everything works well together. Because I don't care how I look, I'm made for this thing. I've got my identity. I have no, I don't, it does not matter what people think of me. I've got my identity and it's, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure out how to make this thing work because I'm made for it, right? So if you know that's your calling, who cares what's going wrong, right? Still your calling. Maybe you have to change jobs. Maybe you have to change the way you're doing it or work with different people. Who knows what it is, right? But ma- you're still made for it. Dr. D, that's got a ring to it. As Graham Cook quotes, a Graham Cook quote came to mind. Haha. Uh, you can just skip my question, but the quote is, well, I'm just reading the whole thing here. Um, you don't need to have an opinion on every fight. You just need God's opinion on your fight. And then here's the question. Can you talk about practical ways to go against the culture to focus on your calling? Yeah, okay. So uh, the, I love that quote, by the way. Thank you. That's absolutely right. Um, so can you fo- uh, practical ways to go against the culture to focus on your calling? Um, the simplest way, I'll reiterate kind of what I said, is um, go after finding out what is like really be introspective. Maybe even ask other people, like what is that thing that I keep, I'm obs- for example, for Azita, it was me and her friends that pointed out, by the way, you only tell me about, you know, taking care of people, right? And, and it turned out her passion and then was, a, you know, working at Sierra House SB and, and taking care of people at a, at a hospice care residence, right? So she actually needed people around her to point out that, right? So really press into finding out what is that thing that I'm obsessed with and I'm thinking about it all the time. Like I'm taking a shower and I'm like thinking about it, right? Or, you know, like you can't not do it, right? And... Um, that and and specifically, if you're if you're really not sure, just ask God. Like, hey God, like I feel like I'm obsessed with this thing. Is that? Do you want me to do that? Right? Because remember, I asked God that, and He said, "I made you to do this. No one else is going to do it." Like, talk about affirmation. I literally asked Him that question. Right? So ask Him. Right? And if you find that thing, go after that. Um, don't don't be. I mean. Um, you should be aware of how you could be manipulated by your culture. Maybe, maybe the way to try and discern that, um, am I being manipulated by my culture, is, is everybody else around me doing the same thing? Right? Like, wow, like, er, like I love video games. So does everybody around me. And I want to play video games all day long. Like, is that addiction or is that calling? Right? <laughs> right? Um, 
But if it's something like, if you're, if you're just completely obsessed with, like, for example, let's say you completely fell in love with like programming video games and none of your friends care less about that, right? And you're going deep into it. That sets you apart, right? So I think if you, I don't um, pay attention to maybe what the culture is doing, but if you press into what your actual calling is and make sure God agrees with you on that, like literally learn to hear his voice, don't worry about what the culture is doing. You do your calling. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to wind it down here. Um, what if you know your passion, so this person knows their passion, but you don't know if God is calling you to something else or to take a break from your passion to try something new slash challenge yourself? Okay, so what if you know your passion, but you don't know if God is calling you to something else or to take a break from your passion to try something new slash challenge yourself? Okay, so again, you said you know your passion. Problem solved in some ways. It's pretty simple. The other question then, the, how to deal with the other things is, okay, am I going through adversity? Am I getting bored of this? You know, like, I mean, there's other questions there. Am I in the wrong group to doing my passion, right? Uh, is, there, is it impossible to find someone around me who cares about this? Am I not finding any ways to learn more and, and progress and get better at it, right? Those might be different questions, right? But if you know your passion, you know your passion, right? Like, you know your calling. That's, that's amazing. Like, that's, that's a huge battle won already. Then the second part is figure out how to make it work. Right? That was the other part of the, of, the, of the list of things to do. Right, Figure out how to make it work with either where you are or you know, come up with ideas. And that's a great place to go brainstorm with people who are 10, 20, 30 years older than you. They've seen all those things. They've mentored lots of people and will literally be able to come up with creative ideas that never even entered your brain that sometimes are just, you know, you're like, like oh, that, I would love to do that. I should totally do that. So go and brainstorm with other people.